Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. So who, who in your life uh, do you not need to give up on? I'm not talking about in the weird stalking way, but is, is there someone that the Lord has put in your path that you need to build a bridge, that you need to throw a lifeline and just be there? Just be there. Today, that's what we're going to talk about, and, and I just want to start with a prayer. Would you join me across all of our campuses? Lord, your word is so good, and, it, and it, it just changes the way in which we think, and some of us need that today. In fact, I would say all of us do. And wherever we find ourselves spiritually, wherever we find ourselves mentally, relationally, in every way, God, would you speak clearly in our hearts, in our spirit, and may we listen. May we listen. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, one of the most important things you're going to see today is what I want to show you right now on the screens. This is Milo, my grandson, Milo Alexander. And the next picture is him and his response when you send me a bad email. Yeah, that's little Milo. Isn't he cute? His, his big sister, Lucy, is taking good care of him. So proud. Um, we can go home now. We can go home. Hey, uh, we're going to end today our series, uh, Don't give up. If you haven't been here or if you've missed a few weeks, here's where we've been. Week one, we talked about don't give up on uh, faith and scripture. Week two, we talked about don't give up on church and life. Last week, how many enjoyed Mike Foster? Man, he is so good. I love it when Mike comes. He talked about don't give up on you. What God has for you and he wants to do in you and through you uh, is mightier than you could ever or than we could ever think. And don't give up on you. Today, I want to talk about don't give up on others. And again, tackling that uh, lifesaver kind of theme. So when I say lifesaver, again, I'm not really referring to an actual, you know, lifesaver type of deal physically. You fell through the ice and a, and a you know, a German shepherd saved you. Um, or you fall off the, the boat and somebody threw you that, and that'd be fine. Those are great lifesavers. I'm really talking about spiritually speaking. Those people in your life that threw you a lifeline that were, were people who showed up when you needed them. And when I think of that, as I thought about lifesaver, it's kind of a big word, but I thought about, uh, of course, my mom, my dad, who were the most influential people in my life. Uh, I, th I think about our, the church that I grew up in. It was a small church, 100 to 150 people, but it was a pro had a profound impact, impact on my life. And the people in that church, I grew up with all my life. We were with the same people. So my mom and dad and, and Joyce and Dan and Barbara and Bill and John and Leota and many others that were a part of that. We did vacations together and it just had a profound and still do impact on my life. Notwithstanding those people, I'm going to not count them because they're their older ones, but 
there, when I think of Lifesaver in my life, I think of the first person I think of is my first youth pastor, Chuck Myers. I'm going to show you a picture of him and his wife. This is him and Jackie. Chuck was my youth pastor in seventh grade. And uh, he stayed, a, I think, a few years and went off somewhere and then came back in my high school years. And he's, uh, he's bald now, <laughs> no hair. And it's a good look, by the way. It's a good look. But Chuck showed up. I texted him this week and, and I said, hey, when, when you first came to our church in Harlingen, um, what did you get paid? And that was a personal question, but I kind of, I, I had a feeling I know where it go, where it went. Um, back in the day in our church, um, we had an auditorium, a, a sanctuary, and then we had a building right next door, which is the fellowship hall, kitchen, <clears throat> and then Sunday school classrooms, and then we had this one room called the Evangelist Quarters. Okay, I didn't think you'd know what that would be, but um, it, like Mike Foster came last week, right? So in those days, he would have stayed at the church in one of the Sunday school classrooms that we quoted, uh, we, we put as the Evangelist Quarters. So Chuck actually lived in that room. He was single at the time. He married Jackie a few, few years later, but uh, he lived there in the evangelist quarters, and he had to go through the fellowship hall to the ladies' bathroom where the, the tub was. They had a tub and a shower, and that's where he lived for a couple of years. And I, so I texted him. I said, hey, how much did you get paid? And he texted me. He, I said, do you remember? And he goes, yes, I remember, $50 a week, $50 a week to be our full-time youth pastor and I was forever, and it has been, I have been forever impacted by his life, by how he poured into us. I, I don't really remember any youth sermons. I don't remember any special, you know, I mean, we did, you know, all kinds of trips. Uh, we did an evangelistic kind of a singing uh, youth choir thing. We did that and all, a lot of fun stuff, but uh, I don't remember a ton of what he said, but I remember him showing up, and I remember the impact that he had on my life. When he left, um, some young couples came to our church. Uh, Don and Laria Thornton. This is Don and Laria. Um, they were from Rhode Island, and uh, he was an engineer with Foster Wheeler, and they were relocated down to the Rio Grande Valley to work at this plant. And uh, they started attending our church when I was in middle school and had a huge influence or impact on my life. And I don't remember anything they said to me. I don't remember conversations in the Sunday school classroom or whatever. I don't remember any of that. But I remember them showing up. I remember Don taking me to play golf. I remember them going out to eat with us. I remember them coming over to the house. I remember the love in which they showed me. And it had a profound impact on my life. Uh, Mark and Evelyn Anderson, another couple, they were from Brooklyn, New York where my son is. Shout out to Connor. I know he's watching. He always watches, right, Connor? Yeah. This is Mark and Evelyn Anderson, and that's little, their little girl, Sonia. Before they had Sonia, they were just a young couple. He worked for Foster Wheeler as well, relocated to the Rio Grande Valley, worked at the same place Don did, and they also started attending our church. And when Chuck left, Mark became our volunteer youth pastor. It had a profound impact on my life. I don't remember much of what they taught me, but I do remember they showed up, and I do remember the times in which he picked me up to go play racquetball. 
The times he picked me up to go lift weights. The times that he took me out or they took me out to dinner. I, I remember being at their apartment. I remember them coming to the house. A profound impact on my life. Dave and Beth Luan, I don't have a picture of them. Again, all these people, and I could go on and on, right? I won't, but I wonder if you have someone in your life that would say the same about you. When they showed up, huge impact on my life. In 10 or 20 or 30 years, will anybody look back on their life and they'll go, when they showed up, when they showed me love, when they picked me up from school, when they whatever, is there anybody that would say that about you? And that's what I want to talk about today, not to make you feel guilty or bad because you don't think of, I mean, me, you're like, no, nobody. That's okay. We're going we're gonna to learn how we can actually be the kind of person that Jesus would call us to be. Here's where we're going to go. I'm going to, I'm going to give you three stories in the New Testament, actually the Gospels, all of them. We're going to talk about uh, the man lowered down through the roof. We're going to talk about the Samaritan woman, and we're going to talk about the calling of some of the disciples. And after each one of those passages, I'm going to give you some observations, and then we'll close in prayer. But let's go to Luke chapter 5, and let's look at this story. I love this story. It's Excellent story. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law, or teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed like these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee, Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. That's an interesting statement, by the way. I'm not trying to rock your theology, but he didn't even ask to be forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now, I want you to just think about this. If, if, if this happened right here, right now, somebody crippled that could not walk, and we just prayed, and boom, you knew them, you knew the story. It wasn't some fake televangelist thing. It was true blue miracle healing, whatever. How many, I mean, you'd be like them. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. Now, at first glance, and obviously so, the amazing thing was that this man was healed. No question. I want to talk about something else. I want to talk about number one observation is they had compassion on this friend that needed help. That was an amazing thing 
that this crowd observed. We don't know the circumstances that surround this young man or this man. We don't know the friends. We don't know anything about them. But we do know that there was some popularity of Jesus spreading throughout that region. He was healing people, and they heard about it, and they saw their friend in need and said, let's get this friend to Jesus. Because if we can get him to Jesus, maybe Jesus will heal him. They not only had compassion, but they, they, they had a plan. They really did. Number two, they had a plan. Oh, there we go. Ah, there we go. They had a plan. Now, how many know it's easy sometimes to show compassion? But if you don't have a plan with the compassion, it's just sympathy. And sympathy is not bad, but you can look at someone and say, oh, bless their heart. And, or you can look at someone and say, hey, bless your heart. Can I, can I help you? And they had a plan. Now, I don't know how they did it. I don't know if they made a mat. I don't know if they made the handles. I don't know if they already had one. I don't, I don't know anything about that. But we do know that, that they took the time to go get this guy, to, to put him on a mat, to take him over to the house. Compassion with a plan is a key part of this story. But how many know sometimes plans don't work out the way you think? They not only had a plan but they had perseverance. Now, I'm not an aggressive personality, so when something doesn't seem like it's going to work, I'm not the kind that says, well, we're going to blow it up, right? Or we're going to climb the wall and forge the hill. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really like that because I'm a little wiser than that. I would say, <laughs> I would say, hey, guys, eventually Jesus is going to come out of the house, so let's call DoorDash and let's wait. Let's get something to eat and let's wait for him to come out and then we'll call him over and then we'll ask him if he could touch this guy or heal this guy, right? That's my, but no, 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 not, not these guys. Now, what made them think of this? I have no clue. And I don't know if it was really easy. They just went up some stairs and went on the roof and there were like, you know, Legos and they just took them out and lowered the man in, but it doesn't seem like that. They had to go through the process of getting this man up on the roof and then removing the roof. I'm not talking about a, like, put my fist through it and say, hey, Jesus, we're up here. I'm talking about a six-foot, four-foot by four-foot type of hole. They lowered the man down. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? In the crowd, just look, what in the world? Somebody right now, would you like... Security guards would be everywhere. Um, let me put it on the screen like this. Compassion with a plan can be a lifesaver. And, and while we're talking about compassion, and, and uh, again, please hear my, please, please hear, finish, let me finish. We're living in a time where compassion is overshadowed by frustration. Many of us are frustrated at the circumstances that we find ourselves in as a country, politically, medically, uh, racially, uh, financially, whatever. There's so many things, right? There's so many things that are, that are frustrating right now. And I do think the frustration has overshadowed our compassion and who Jesus has called us as believers, as Christ followers, to be. 
I think many of us are more concerned about my freedom, our freedom, than we are being a lifesaver to someone who needs something. I was talking to a friend, uh, he's, a, he's a business owner and he's in the construction industry and uh, they're just getting hit hard. Supply chain issues, time delays like crazy. And if you're building a home or building something, you know that's very frustrating. Very frustrating. In almost in every industry, it's like, man, you can't get anything. And, and then you wonder if they're lying to you. Did they really order that? Or, you know, what all those things. And I'm not saying everybody's perfect. I'm not saying every contractor is great. But, but I am saying I do know this guy, and, he, and he's, they're great people. And he, he was talking, he was at the home Friday. I was showing him he's going to do some things for me. And, and, and I was showing him something, and we were talking, and he was like, man, it's crazy right now. He said, we're getting pummeled on Google Review because of, you know, this or that, and people are just ruthless. We've communicated to them. We have told them how this is the process, and it's going to take this, and they just, wow, lash out. And, uh, and I understand frustration. All of us have been frustrated, but I just wonder if sometimes that frustration overshadows who Jesus is, as believers is calling us to be, and how he's calling us to respond in a world in crisis or chaos. We're more worried about our thing than we are somebody else's thing. And I, I, just, I just can't help but think there are some times in which, and we don't need to be a part of the problem. Of all the people, and I've said this over and over for two years now, of all the people on the planet who should be throwing out some hope and throwing out some love and throwing out some peace, and throwing out some prayer, and throwing out some love. It's us. It's us. Compassion with a plan can be a real lifesaver to somebody, spiritually speaking. Because when the world looks at us as believers or looks at the church, what do they see? What? Do they hear? What do they experience? Listen, I don't care if you email me or not. The way in which we treat people matters. Doesn't matter just because we're in a country that is not going the way we want it, or maybe it is, and we're excited, but we live in another kingdom. And the compassion in which we show matters in this world. It matters. Don't give up on people. Don't give up with compassion. Now, the second story is the woman at the well. John chapter 4. Let's pick up. The, now, this is a lot. Okay, so I'm going to read through it maybe a little quick. But I just want you to get the whole story. Verse 1 of chapter 4, John. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing, making more disciples than John Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. So we're talking about between uh, Jerusalem and the Sea of Galilee is up here, I think. Right in the middle, there's Samaria. They're going through this region. Eventually, he came to Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from his long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus saw 
uh, Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will never thirst or will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. Well, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, I love the way she changes the subject. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is on the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount wherever, where our ancestors worshiped? Gerizim. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way, for God is spirit, and those who, please stay with me, just stay with me, Him will worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Well, a few times He really boldly says that, like that. Verse 30, verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came screaming from the village to see him. Streaming, not screaming, streaming. Next verse. Many Samaritans from the village, they may have been screaming though too, who knows. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Long passage, I know that, but some observations about this, and the first one is that Jesus built a bridge. Now, he did this in a variety of ways. In that day, Samaritans were looked down on because of, uh, by the Jews because they were a mixed, they married, they were Jews earlier in, you know, hundreds of years before this, and they married people of other religions, and they married people who weren't Israelites or they weren't Jews. And so over the years, it, it became this community of mixed, and, and Jews just didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. So... When the woman asked, 
why are you talking to me? You're a Jew and I am a Samaritan. And you're a man and I'm a woman. See, Jesus had a way and has a way of building bridges, not destroying them. In a racially heated environment, in a place in which men really didn't talk to women, especially if you didn't know them in a public place, Jesus insisted on building, and this is what he did, building bridges, and this is what he did all his ministry. Built bridges with sinners. Zacchaeus, the the tax collector, and Matthew and his tax collecting friends, and um, the adulterous woman, and many, I mean, just kept building bridges, building bridges with people far from God. Who in your life right now do you need, or is God calling you to build a bridge to? Who on social media? May the Lord be convicting you and me to build bridges to rather than blowing them up. Let that sink in for a minute. Jesus built a bridge. Number two, the woman had a story. Now many of us, in fact all of us have stories. Not some, some of them are not as colorful as hers. Many of you are, you know, good sinners, right? You know how to do that, and, and, and you have a story to tell. And many of us are sinners as well, but ours isn't as colorful. Ours isn't as crazy or whatever. But everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. And this woman, third observation, used her story to the people that knew her. And the Scripture says that they believed in Jesus because of the woman's story. Because of not only they saw her life and how she was changed, obviously, there was something about that. And they said, wow, we believe in Him because of what you've said. This is crazy. Wow. She used her story to build a bridge. Jesus used His life to build a bridge to somebody that wasn't expecting it. And then she used her life and story to build a bridge to the people in the village, and they all met Jesus, and they were changed because somebody built a bridge. Somebody didn't give up on the Samaritans and the area of Samaria. Jesus didn't theologically get involved with what she was trying to get him involved with. He wasn't worried about where you worship. He wasn't worried about all the details of that. We live in a day and age, I look at some, some you know, articles and Christianity publications, and, and I'll just be honest, I get weary of Christians fighting other Christians. You know, people saying, hey, we don't sing those songs because they come from a certain church. Guys, can I just tell you, don't be ridiculous. Don't don't be the kind of person who blows up bridges for no reason. If you uh, have sung a hymn in the past, how many love hymns? How many love hymns? Yep. How many know who wrote those hymns? How many knew the lifestyle of the person who wrote those hymns? Anybody? No. No matter. If the song is good, 
the words are theologically sound, sing it. Good night. You're going to drive you nuts. Okay. Where am I at? Okay, so use your story. Thank you. Yeah, it's just the fighting, the fighting, the reform versus the army. I mean, it's all crazy. Stop, stop. The world looks at us. And when they see our lack of compassion and they see our theological wars, it's, it's exhausting. Hey, guys, love people. Okay, so that's enough there. Third story. This is John 1. Jesus is getting ready to call the disciples. Here's what happens. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, looking intently. Now, let me just give you who Andrew is. Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was with his disciples when Jesus shows up. And he says, well, behold the Lamb of God. And Andrew's listening to him and John. And he's like, well, I'm going to go follow him. So Andrew starts following Jesus and says, hey, where are you going? He said, we'll come and find out. And then he spends the rest of the day with Jesus. And then he would spend the rest of his life serving Jesus. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Andrew's brother, Simon Peter, who would change the world in the first century, in the early church, is the one we're talking about. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, hey, we have found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth, Arkansas, (laughs) right? Or Louisiana or Texas or whatever. He's like, Nazareth? You know I love Arkansas. I love you people. I love Louisiana. I love New Mexico, whatever. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know this about me, or how do you know about me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. He's like, what? Then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you, which means teacher, you are the son of God the king of Israel. A couple observations, we'll pray. Number one, Andrew had an experience with Jesus and he wanted to share it. Andrew, following John, sees Jesus. Peter was not a disciple of John. Peter was a fisherman and I'm not saying Andrew wasn't, but, but he was not following John. But Andrew sees Jesus and he spent some, times with Je- spent some time with Jesus and he had an experience with Jesus and he had, had such a deep one that he says, hey, I want, you to, I want you to meet my brother, Peter. Because Andrew had an experience, he wanted to share it. Number two, Philip, who was minding his own business in Galilee, and Jesus just randomly comes to him and says, hey, Philip, follow me. And he does. For whatever reason, we have no idea. Philip had an experience with Jesus, and he wanted to share it. So Philip goes and finds his friend Nathaniel, who would later become a disciple of Jesus, one of the twelve, and Nathaniel's life would be changed because Nathaniel had an experience with Jesus. What am I getting at? Let me put it on the screen like this. Our experience 
with Jesus can turn into invitations that can be lifesavers. Bottom line. Our experience, do you have an experience with Jesus, by the way? Have you experienced His grace and His love and His mercy on your life so that you not only have abundant life here, but more importantly, you have eternal life and the promise of, and the hope of eternal life? Do you have an experience with Jesus? And, and if you do, if you have a real experience, you want to share that. If you have a real experience with Jesus, the, 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 the compassion that it takes to, to show to somebody is... is is you don't have to work that up. You don't have to conjure that up. I mean, it's there because you've had an experience with Jesus. He's done something for you. And man, you're just like, hey, I want you to know what Jesus has done for me. And you're constantly, not in a weird way, but you're constantly throwing out lifelines to people around you because you're telling your story. You're sharing your story. Not your political persuasion. Oh, no. No, you're, you're sharing your story. You're sharing your story. You're sharing your experience. And you're just throwing those things out there. How many people have we alienated because we're not sharing our story, our experience. We're showing, sharing our opinion. Changing no one. I know you brought a friend today and you're like, he's being so serious. This stuff matters. Guys, this matters. I am so grateful that Chuck Myers sacrificed to live on $50 a week to be my full-time youth pastor. He didn't have another job on the side. He wasn't selling anything on the side on social media. He just worked his tail off. Met early in the mornings with us. He'd call us to the church for prayer before school. Showed up every time. I don't remember one time he ever not showed up. Oh, overslept. Of course, he lived there, so we'd just knock on the door. I'm so grateful for Don and Laria who shared their life with me, picked me up. Mark and Evelyn, Don, uh, uh, Dave and Beth. I'm just, I'm so grateful for people that gave a rip for a little kid that offered them nothing. I had nothing to offer them. But they would change my life forever. And they are a part of everything that God is doing in this church because they gave a rip about a little kid. And I'm not talking just about little kids. I'm just saying that anybody in your life that God has, has, has brought into your path, man, Pick them up. Lower them through the roof. Do whatever you have to do to share some life, to share some love. Build a bridge. Tell your story. Share your experience. And just see what God will do as you do your part and the Holy Spirit is there doing His part you're not, and I'm not responsible for changing anybody's life. God does that. But He has called us to be ambassadors to this world. And is there anybody in your life right now that's looking at you and saying, thank you for throwing me some hope. Thank you for throwing me some love. It's never too late, by the way. I don't care how old you are. 
you can be a lifesaver to somebody. When you came in, you, you got a, a sticker like, like this. If you didn't get one, just get one on the way out. But it's a sticker that looks like this. It says, uh, don't give up. And there's a line right there, and you can get a marker later. Don't write that right now. But I want you to think of at least one person in your life that you could write on this paper and pray for that you feel like the Lord's put them in your path. Maybe it's a Republican. Maybe it's a Democrat. Maybe it's someone very, very far from God. Maybe it's someone who's almost close to God. Maybe somebody in your family, maybe somebody in your neighborhood, somebody in your work, somebody at your school. Just just write their name down and say, God, help me to build a bridge. Help me to get a mat, get some ropes. Help me to share my experience. It could, it, it could change a life, man. It could really change a life. And that's why we're here, to be a light to this world. We're not of this world. This world is not our home. We live and are citizens of another kingdom. Let's act like it. Let's throw some compassion out there. Let's build a bridge. Let's share our experience. And let's see God do what only God can do in the lives of our friends and our family. Could you bow your head in prayer with me? Lord, your word is cutting and it is sharp and it is sometimes painful, but it it helps us. And so, Lord, would you, would you, as believers in the room, would you help us to get past something that I said that you didn't like? Help them, help us to get past some of those things and to, to say, God, who, who are you putting on my heart that I can be a Chuck or a Donna Maria or a Mark and Owen or a Dave and Beth or I can be Jesus to someone? Now, if you're here today across all of our campuses and you've never accepted the, the love and the grace that only Jesus can bring of the forgiveness of our sins, reconciling us to God, our Creator and our Father, if you've never accepted that, and today as I'm talking about this Jesus and, and how He changed lives and, because it's all about Him, and if you've never accepted Him, or maybe you've been away for a long, long time and it's time to reconnect and it's time to decide to follow him. If you're here, would you just raise your hand and say, John, pray for me because I think today's my day. I need to quit running from God and I need to accept what he's done for me because I want to be a lifesaver to somebody else. Anybody in the room across our campuses? Yes, yes. Anybody else just say, yeah, yeah it's me. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Anybody else just say, you know what, that's me. Across our campus, McKinney, Prosper, Frisco West, online. God, thank you for those in the room who are just saying, you know what, I've done it my way long enough. I want to be a part of what you're doing in this world. And, and that starts with me repenting of my sins, turning to you and what you've done on the cross and through your resurrection. And I put my faith in who you are and what you've done. Be the Lord of my life. 
Thank you, Lord. I pray for every single person who's making that decision in their hearts right now. And I pray for us as believers that we would be lifesavers to this world. Put it on our hearts. Convict us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.